through his word. Uh, I would ask you, if you would, to turn with us to the gospel according to Mark, chapter number 15. And we will read the first 23 verses. Uh, many, most of you were here last Sunday evening, and uh, we started on this chapter, and uh, uh, there will be a little bit of overlap, I'm sure. But uh, just be patient with us, and we'll, uh, we'll do our best to exalt Christ. That's, uh, that's the desire of my heart this evening. And uh, I certainly am unworthy to even speak his name in public. And yet he has uh, chosen to give me the opportunity to proclaim his word and so, um, I need his anointing and enabling to rightly divide the word and to say those things that would most glorify him and draw attention to him and, uh, and put me back in the background somewhere. I was reading, uh, someone quoted this week, uh, and I can't even remember who the quote was, but he said, uh, uh, my goal in life is to preach the gospel till I die, mm -hmm. preach and die and be forgotten. Mm -hmm. And uh, I get it. I get that, don't you? Mm -hmm. Let's pray. Oh, Lord Jesus, I bless your name. We're reading now about the events that took place when you were here on earth in your earthly body, being hated and rejected and falsely accused, beaten, and then hung on a cross. To die, Lord Jesus, we can't uh, we can't fathom what you went through. Not even physically, but to think about what you went through spiritually and emotionally, it's far beyond our imagination and our capability to comprehend. But I would ask you, Lord, through your Spirit that you would take us back there. In our hearts and in our minds, may we be present and see your trial. And see the mockery of the soldiers and see your patience and know your love for sinners. We ask these things for your glory. Amen. Amen. Well, let's read beginning in verse number one of chapter 15. Um, and I'm reading from the New King James. So uh, just in case you wonder why your Bible doesn't always match up with mine. Immediately in the morning, the chief priests held a consultation 
with the elders and scribes and the whole council. And they bound Jesus, led him away, and delivered him to Pilate. Then Pilate asked him, Are you the king of the Jews? And he answered and said to him, It is as you say. And the chief priest accused him of many things, but he answered nothing. Then Pilate asked him again, saying, Do you answer nothing? See how many things they testify against you? But Jesus still answered nothing, so that Pilate marveled. Now at the feast, he was accustomed to releasing one prisoner to them, whomever they requested. And there was one named Barabbas, who was chained with his fellow rebels. They had committed murder in the rebellion. Then the multitude, crying aloud, began to ask him to do just as he had always done for them. But Pilate answered them, saying, Do you want me to release to you the king of the Jews? For he knew that the chief priests had handed him over because of envy. But the chief priest stirred up the, peop the crowd so that he should rather release Barabbas to them. Pilate answered and said to them again, What then do you want me to do with him whom you call the king of the Jews? So they cried out again, Crucify him. Then Pilate said to them, Why? What evil has he done? But they cried out all the more, crucify him. So Pilate, wanting to gratify the crowd, released Barabbas to them, and he delivered Jesus after he had scourged him to be crucified. Then the soldiers led him away into the hall called Praetorium, and they called together the whole garrison. And they clothed him with purple, and they twisted a crown of thorns, put it on his head, and began to salute him. Hail, King of the Jews! Then they struck him on the head with a reed. And uh, this uh, verb form here, this is uh, in the imperfect tense, and so... They were continually striking him. It wasn't just a, a, uh, a blow and then that's it. But they were continually striking him on the head with a reed and were spitting on him. And bowing the knee, they worshipped him. And when they had mocked him, they took the purple off him, but his own, put his own clothes on him and led him out to crucify him. Then they compelled a certain man, Simon, a Cyrenian, the father of Alexander and Rufus, as he was coming out of the country and passing by to bear his cross. And they brought him to the place Golgotha, which is translated place of a skull. Then they gave him wine mingled with myrrh to drink, but he did not take it. Now tonight I want to uh, spend a, a little bit of time, and I hope it's not too uh, technical or boring, but I want to spend a little bit of time talking about the dilemma of Pontius Pilate. When Jesus 
was brought to him, he had no idea, I don't suppose, when he awoke that morning that his whole life was about to be changed. And he was going to have to deal with this prisoner that uh, the Jews had, uh, uh, had arrested and accused of blasphemy, this prisoner named Jesus. And uh, so I want to talk a, uh, a little bit, as I said, about Pilate and how this uh, became such a great dilemma for him. And first of all, let, let me uh, point out a few uh, things concerning Pilate's background. He was a uh, Roman soldier, of course, and he married politically, he married well. Morally, he, he, uh, he probably messed up. But he was married to, the, to Claudia Procula, the youngest daughter of Julia, who was the daughter of Caesar Augustus. So it was she, his wife was the granddaughter of uh, Augustus. And uh, her mother's name, as we said, was Julia. She was the youngest daughter of Augustus. And she was such an immoral and such a perverted person that uh, she even shamed her own father to the point that he would try to avoid her and eventually came to the place where he uh, completely banished her. And it was her daughter that uh, Pontius Pilate was married to. And so uh, uh, Philo, a Jewish historian, said that he was a corrupt, insolent, rapacious, cruel, murderous, never-ending, in, in he exercised never-ending inhumanity. He was a bad actor all the way around. And uh, it sounds like we should have uh, Grady Judd talking about him, doesn't it? But uh, he was a, a, a very bad man. He was an immoral man. He was stubborn and he was cruel and uh, he was not the favorite of the Jews who lived in Judea. He was sent to be the governor or uh, prefect or procurator. All three of those terms are used for him, but it means basically the same thing. He was the highest local uh, uh, Roman authority in the area. And he was sent there in AD 26. And, and it was not a plum assignment to be sent to Judea. Because the Jews were uh, a pretty, uh, pretty tough people to govern, as you can imagine. They hated the fact that the Romans were there simply because they were Gentiles. And so they were very harsh uh, uh, about having any dealings with Gentiles whatsoever. And they thought that uh, their, their attitude was that Gentiles were so unclean that they didn't want to touch them. They didn't want to go to the same places. 
to, to which they went. They didn't want to eat with them. There was just uh, this, this, uh, uh, this whole spirit of racism that was such a, uh, a trial for Pontius Pilate. And, uh, and for anybody that would have been a leader there. And so people just naturally didn't want to go there. But Pontius Pilate was sent there in A.D. 26, and he stayed there for 10 years, if that tells you anything about how he was liked in Rome. He lived in uh, Caesarea Maritimo, which was a seaside uh, town, and... Uh, uh, of course, when there were Jewish holidays like Passover, then of course he would bring his uh, 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 contingent of soldiers and come to Jerusalem because that's where the hotbed of problems could arise. And so he was there during Passover. And he, uh, of course, Caesarea Maritimo was in Galilee. Galilee was a place where both Romans and Jews were uh, living, and, um, and the Romans segregated themselves from the Jews because they didn't understand Jews. They had some pretty strange customs uh, as far as the Romans were concerned. They wouldn't do anything on Saturday. They wouldn't do anything on the Sabbath day, and, and the Romans just didn't get that. And not only that, they just didn't like them. And, uh, and they really despised their religion. Pilate, on the other hand, was also a religious man. Can you believe that? Pilate was a religious man. He was a... Uh, uh, a man who embraced the Roman cult of emperor worship. And this is a real thing. Believe it or not, the emperors uh, set themselves up as deity and they were worshipped. Pilate even, uh, and they found this out just back in the 60s, 1960s, but he built a temple uh, for the worship of Tiberius Caesar, who was his boss. And they found a stone called the uh, Pilate, Pontius Pilate Stone, and uh, it has an inscription on it that says, To the divine Augusti Tiberium, Pontius Pilate, Prefect of Judea. And so it's uh, historically and ar architecturally accurate to place uh, Pilate at that uh, place at that time. And he was, a, uh, uh, he was a prefect, just like the Bible said, of Judea. The Jews, of course, as much as the Romans hated the Jews, the Jews hated the Romans maybe even more. They hated the Roman cult of... Uh, uh, emperor worship because, you know, they uh, uh, at least outwardly gave lip service to the uh, thou shalt have no other gods before me commandment. And they didn't like the fact that they always, that Rome was always putting images of their emperor and calling him deity 
uh, with an inscription on those things. And so uh, the Jews really hated the Roman cult. They hated the fact that Rome was dominating them. And they hated their very lifestyle and the fact, as I've already said, that they were Gentiles. And so things like this of a necessity put Pilate and his uh, constituents, the Jews, on a collision course. They weren't going to have an easy go of it. It was going to be uh, a little bit uh, uh, contentious. And he had the mission from Rome to collect revenue for Rome and to keep the peace. That's what he had to do. That sounds pretty simple, doesn't it? <laughs> but I guess if, uh, if we were in those circumstances, we would see that it's not, it wasn't that simple. He made a few missteps as he began to uh, take his office in Judea. Soon after he took up his position, he brought soldiers into Jerusalem bearing banners or flags with the emperor's image on it and an inscription that described deity to him. And uh, uh, they, of course, the Romans uh, believed that uh, rule or emperorship was the divine right of uh, the emperor, and so that offended the Jews. And so they uh, went all the way to, uh, to Pilate's home in uh, uh, Caesarea, and they staged a protest. And so Pilate said, well, all right. So he sends soldiers out to surround them and says, if you don't give up and get out of here, I'm going to have you killed. And he was shocked when the Jews bowed on their knees and bared their necks and said, go ahead. So they called his bluff. And so he uh, let them go and he, uh, he reconsidered uh, flying those banners. And then, according to Luke chapter 13 in verse number 1, uh, there was an incident where there were some Galileans that were offering sacrifices, and he killed them, and their blood was mingled with the sacrifices. So that gave him a bad rep. And then thirdly, he used the temple money. He got money from the temple and used it for a public works project, they wanted to bring an aqueduct for water into the city of Jerusalem. He used temple funds to do it. And what do you think the Jews thought about that? Weren't happy. Not at all. Not even a little bit. And then fourthly, and I won't go any further, he hung golden shields bearing the name of emperor of the emperor as deity in Herod's palace. And Herod's palace was uh, on the Temple Mount, and, and the Jews reacted with such strenuous objection that the emperor himself rebuked Pilate and ordered him to remove them. And so remember, Pilate's 
job, his mission in Judea was to keep peace and to, uh, 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 to collect revenue for Rome. So he is, I, I'm wanting you to understand this because Pilate is in a really bad space. He's in a bad position, isn't he? He has pressure coming from every direction. And I'm not talking about pressure just coming from the north and from the south and from the east and from the west. I'm talking about there's at least 10 different considerations that are putting pressure on Pilate. The first one is he's being pressured by the religious leaders and the crowd, this crowd that have been incited by the chief priests to cry out for Jesus' crucifixion. And so he has pressure from them. And he's pressured also by the fact that he knows that Jesus is innocent. Let me uh, read a, a verse from Luke. From Luke chapter 23 and verse number 4. Listen to what the scripture says. So Pilate said to the chief priest and the crowd, I find no fault in this man. He knew Jesus was innocent. We've already read in Mark where uh, Mark quotes him as saying that, uh, uh, that he didn't find any, any reason uh, for him to be executed. He says in uh, uh, verse number 12, Pilate answered again to them, what then do you want me to do with him whom you call the king of the Jews? So they cried out again, crucify him. Then Pilate said to them, why? What evil has he done? Pilate knew that Jesus was innocent. And now remember, he's trying to keep peace and he's got pressure from Rome. And he's got pressure from these people that want to kill Jesus and they want to use him to do it. And, and he knows that he is being used to execute an innocent man. Number three, he knew that the leaders had delivered Jesus to him through envy. They were envious of Jesus because he had such power, because he had such a following. And I talked about that last week, so I won't spend any time on it. But uh, fourthly, I say he is pressured by the fact that he can't afford another misstep before Rome. He's going to be in pretty bad trouble if he messes up again. Or at least he assumes, uh, I'm sure, that that's what it is, what will happen. Number five, he was pressured to grant amnesty. To one prisoner. And he hoped to be able to grant amnesty to Jesus Christ, didn't he? He hoped, he, that's what he was hoping to be able to do. Do you want me to? And when they started asking him to uh, release a prisoner to them, he said, do you want me to release him whom you call king of the Jews? No, release unto us Barabbas. And uh, 
And, and so uh, that's got to be a problem for him because, and I'll probably say this again in a few minutes, but Barabbas was a man who was actually guilty of the very charges that they had brought against Jesus. That he was leading a movement against Rome. Well, Barabbas was in on that kind of thing and he'd committed murder and his trial had already happened and he'd been convicted and sentenced to death. He was a man that was condemned. His chains were just. He was waiting for execution. And the, ex the cross that he was going to be executed on was the very cross that Jesus occupied. So... He was pressured uh, by that. He was also pressured by this. His wife, according to Matthew chapter 27 and verse number 19, his wife. Now, remember, remember uh, his wife who is such a, uh, uh, from such an immoral background, sends him a message and says, don't have anything to do with that just man. I've suffered many things this day in a dream because of him. Now, I don't know what to say about that, but it has to add to the weight that's on Pilate's shoulders. Then number seven, he begins to suspect that Jesus is really who he says he is. Now, think about that. John chapter 19 Verse number eight, listen to this. Well, let me read verse seven. The Jews answered him, we have a law, and according to our law, he ought to die because he made himself the son of God. Therefore, when Pilate heard that saying, he was the more afraid and went again into the praetorium and said to Jesus, where are you from? Jesus gave him no answer. Can you imagine how that must have been? He is beginning to suspect that Jesus is really who he says that he is. And then uh, number eight, he really wants to release Jesus. And that's, that is pressure too because he wants out of this mess. He does not want to kill an innocent man. And if he has to release a guilty man, he'll do that. But he doesn't want to kill an innocent man. Let, let me go back to John chapter 19. And, and I, I hope you don't mind, but I want to read several verses here. But listen to what, uh, what's going on, what's being said. So then Pilate took Jesus and scourged him, and the soldiers twisted a crown of thorns and put it on his head, and they put on him a purple robe. Then they said, Hail, King of the Jews, and they struck him with their hands. Pilate then went out again and said to them, Behold, I am bringing him out to you, that you may know that I find no fault in him. Now you remember, don't you, I, I, I'm kind of going to chase a little bit of a a rabbit trail here, but you remember, don't you, that the Jews didn't want to go in to the uh, uh, to Pilate's uh, courtroom because they didn't want to be defiled. They didn't want to go into a Gentile's 
dwelling uh, because they wanted to be able to eat the Passover. They were very conscientious people. And so they, they didn't want to go in. So Pilate has Jesus inside doing the questioning. <laughs> and I counted some seven or eight times where Pilate had to go in. He had to go out and uh, to the people and find out what they said. Then he had to go back into Jesus and ask Jesus. And then he had to come back out to the people. And then he had to go back in. Some seven or eight times he's running back and forth. Can you imagine how that must have been? And Pilate went out again and said to them, Behold, I'm bringing him out to you that you may know that I find no fault in him. Then Jesus came out wearing the crown of thorns and the purple robe. And Pilate said to them, Behold the man. Therefore, when the chief priests and officers saw him, they cried out, saying, Crucify him, crucify him. Pilate said to them, You take him and crucify him, for I find no fault in him. You get that? The Jews answered him, We have a law according to our law. He ought to die because he made himself the Son of God. Therefore, when Pilate heard that saying, he was the more afraid and went again into the praetorium and said to Jesus, Where are you from? And Jesus said, Gave him no answer. Then Pilate said to him, Are you not speaking to me? Do you not know that I have power to crucify you and power to release you? Jesus answered, You could have no power at all against me unless it had been given you from above. Whew. Think on that. Therefore, the one who delivered me to you has the greater sin. From then on, Pilate sought to release him. But the Jews cried out saying, If you let this man go, you are not Caesar's friend. Whoever makes himself a king speaks against Caesar. When Pilate therefore heard that saying, he brought Jesus out and sat down in the judgment seat in a place that is called the pavement, but in Hebrew, Gabbatha. Now, he is, he really wants to release Jesus, but now he's being, here's the ninth pressure, he's being threatened by the Jews. I don't know if you caught that, uh, that little hint there, but what's, uh, what they're saying is, man, it'd be fun to, uh, be funny if, uh, if, uh, uh, Augustus or Tiberius, excuse me, Tiberius were to hear that we brought a fellow that was claiming to be a king and getting a following around him and, uh, and we brought him to you for prosecution and you let him go. And so, number 10 in one Frantic, last-ditch effort, according to Matthew. He brings out a basin and sits down and washes his hands. Listen, he don't want anything to do with it. He, he thinks, what he's thinking is, this decision that I have to make, I'm going to make no decision 
I'm not going to be guilty on either side. I'm going to wash my hands of it and let it be somebody else's problem. But here's the problem with that. You can't do that with Jesus. Whether you're Pontius Pilate or whether you are just uh, uh, the person who has he is hearing of him for the very first time in your life, Jesus is on your hands. Mm -hmm. Jesus is before you and the question is, what are you going to do with Jesus? You can't just do nothing. A no decision is a decision of no. Right? Yeah. You cannot, you cannot just ignore him. He will not go away. Your guilt will not be washed away in a basin of water. Your answer is going to seal your eternal fate. <laughs> I mean, uh, and I think of uh, I think of C.S. Lewis of what he said about uh, about the deity of Christ. Either uh, either he is Lord, or he's a liar, or he's a lunatic. Either he's a fella who uh, is is deluded and says I'm God, and you know he's really not God, then you would have to say he's a lunatic. If he was a person who was not God and knew he wasn't God and still said he was God, you'd know he was a liar. But if he was a person, if he is a person who said he's God and gave every evidence that he is God, you see, you, uh, and I like the way Lewis says this. He says, you can't just say he's a good man, a moral leader. He hasn't left that option to us. He didn't leave that option to us. And so here is, here's the, the situation that Pilate is in. But please, take uh, take a lesson from this. You had better, you had better seriously consider, and I may be talking to someone who listens to this in 50 years, but you had better, you had better consider Jesus Christ. You had better submit to him, surrender to him, bow to his authority, you can't make him Lord of your life. You can just recognize that he is Lord and bow to that Lordship. Well, so now we come to Pilate in verse number 15. Better get back to the book of Mark. In verse number 15. So Pilate, wanting to gratify the people, he has bowed to the fear of man. I wonder how much influence the fear of man has in our lives. The fear of man is idolatry. I don't know if you get that or not, but uh, I heard someone say many years ago, 
anything, an idol is anything you love more than God, anything you fear more than God, anything you trust more than God. And so many people fear their boss at work. No, I'm not, I, I, I can't come to church because my boss said I could. My boss said I had to work. You say, well, that's not fear of uh, man. That is, uh, you know, I got to be financially responsible. Oh, okay. <laughs> so, so God can't take care of that. So I got you. You fear something more than God. I don't mean to be mean. I, I, I'm going to move on. Okay. So Pilate delivers Jesus to be crucified. He releases unto them Barabbas. I've already said it. He's guilty. Barabbas is guilty of the very thing they had falsely accused Jesus of. And he'd already been found guilty and already was condemned and uh, they turned him loose. Now, if it's such a scary thing for a person to try to raise up rebellion against the Roman government, why is it okay to let Barabbas go? It's a pretty ironic, it seems. But then he takes, he uh, hands Jesus over to be crucified and after he has scourged him. We talked about the scourging last week, about what a hor horrific thing it is. And I'm coming to uh, an end, but uh, I think business will pick up here in just a minute. But uh, what a horrific thing scourging is. It is, they take a handle, they have a handle that has some leather strips in it and woven into the leather strips are pieces of bone or uh, or gravel or something like that. Uh, even uh, maybe iron because they had iron in those days. And, uh, and when they would hit the person that was being flogged, it was made not to cut a groove, but to grab the flesh and rip. Jesus was being, was being beat over the head. They'd put a crown of thorns on him. And then they were beating across the crown of thorns on his head. They were spitting in his face. We mentioned it last week. They ripped the beard from his face. They uh, uh, had beaten him to the point where his visage according to Isaiah 52, was marred more than any man or the sons of men. He was basically unrecognizable, beaten. I, have you ever seen anybody beaten like that? I uh, uh, had a friend many years ago in uh, Tennessee, and I was on my way to work one morning, and I heard on the news that uh, he was a real estate agent, and he had gone to the office to meet someone who wanted to view a property. And when he got there, they beat him almost to death. He was just at the point of death. And I went to see him in the hospital. 
And I'm telling you, I, I have never seen anything before or since like that. And I can only imagine how Jesus must have been. He was beaten and bloody. And then the soldiers, they were all called in. And uh, the cohort was of 600 men. And everybody that wasn't on duty had to come. And they began to imagine being surrounded by 600 enemies, 600 people that hate you and you've already been being, been beaten within an inch of your life. And uh, they uh, the soldiers began to mock him. They put a purple robe on him. And purple was a color that was normally for either a very wealthy person or a king, a royal garment. And uh, I don't know what condition that garment was in, but I want to say he was very much worthy to wear it. They put a crown of thorns on his head and he wore the thorny crown without complaint. You know, the thorns, it seems like it represents the curse of the earth. Adam was given the task the light task of keeping the Garden of Eden. But after sin entered, the ground began to produce thorns and thistles. So they put the crown on his head. He's it, Symbolically, it seems to me like he's bearing, he's bearing the curse. He's being made a curse. Galatians chapter 3 and verse number 13, Paul said, uh, Christ has uh, been made a curse for us because it is written, cursed is everyone that hangs on a tree. They offered him uh, the, uh, the vinegar mixed with myrrh. And of course, we've already talked about how that he refused that. But uh, so here he is in a gruesome, gory condition. What a spectacle our Christ must have been. Portrayed as a king, but torn to pieces. Does it make you think of Revelation chapter 5, when they were looking for someone who could open that, that book that had the seals. And they searched and searched and couldn't find anyone that was worthy to open the book. And John said, I wept much. And one of the, the elders touched him and said, John... Wipe your eyes. The lion of the tribe of Judah, the root of David, hath prevailed to open the book. And John said, I turned. And I wiped the tears out of my eyes. And I saw a lamb as if it had been slain. 
That's what the people were looking at at that day. They were looking at the king who was presented as a slaughtered lamb. They bowed the knee before him as well they should. They hailed him king of the Jews. They kept on hitting him. They had given preferred Barabbas instead of him. All these things, all of these things, Sinclair Ferguson said this, and this touched my heart. Without knowing it, the religious leaders and Pilate and Barabbas were all part of a tapestry of grace which God was weaving for sinners. I was a Pentecostal. I'd shout there. <laughs> Verse number 21. Where am I? Then they compelled a certain man, Simon, a Cyrenian, the father of Alexander and Rufus, as he was coming out of the country and passing by to bear his cross. And they brought him to the place of Golgotha, which is translated place of a skull. Then they gave him wine mingled with myrrh to drink, but he did not take it. Who knows what a mangled, nearly dead condition he was in as he carried the heavy cross piece of the instrument of his own execution out to the Via Dolorosa. How ghastly, how blood-soaked and weak he must have been. And I, I don't know if that's the reason that they compelled uh, his cross to be carried or the cross piece to be carried. But I want to say that uh, all that crowd standing on each side of that way, watching him make his way to the place of the skull, I really doubt that there would have been even one standing in that mixed crowd of haters and followers and mere spectators that would have seen the Messiah's determined journey to Golgotha as a triumph. Nobody would have said, we're on our way to victory. But it was. Hallelujah. It was. It was. Sin was about to be atoned. Death was about to be defeated. The serpent of Eden was about to be crushed under his feet forever. Amen. So we can shout hallelujah, saints of God, because sin is cleansed. The curse is no more. And the king, the king, although his crown was thorns, he is the king and he sits in power on his throne forever. And the throne, the crown that he will wear 
forever is not a crown of thorns, but the royal diadem of all the kingdoms of this world. Blessed be his holy Lord, we bless you. We thank you for your word. Please take these scattered remarks and I pray that you'd cause them to come together and make sense to the help and encouragement of your people. In Jesus' name, amen.